Hi, and welcome to the Ludagogy podcast, your monthly games-based learning earworm. I'm Sarah. And I'm Antonis, and we are your hosts. The topic of this month for the Ludagogy podcast is role-playing. Truth be told, we couldn't have asked for a more fitting type of game than LARP. LARP stands for Live Action Role Play, and our guest today is Marcin Słowikowski, who uh, I know as Słowik, <laughs> so I'll keep calling you that. Słowik <laughs> uh, is a culture expert, communication specialist, LARP designer, promoter, and critic based in Poland. He co-founded Lube LARP and LARP Venture. He was the organizer of the Kola Conference, and he has also been a TEDx speaker. He is the author of the award-winning LARPs, System, and Nightclub. Nightclub just happens to be the very first LARP I actually played <laughs> in my life. Uh, he loves character and story-driven designs, heavy plots with twists and ambiguities, and playing on characters, relations, and emotions. He thinks LARPs have a great impact on people and can bring a lot of valuable life lessons, which I guess we'll be talking about today. Fun fact from my side, uh, we're actually in the same room with Swovic because uh, I'm attending a, a training on LARP design and Swovic just happens to be the trainer. So here we are. Welcome, Swovic. Hello, hello, hello. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So I already mentioned one fun fact from my side, but uh, maybe there's more to say from your side. Well, I don't know if it's fun, but I really like the idea of um, those international trainings, LARP Alchemy, we are part of. And uh, thanks to them, we can meet uh, like LARPers, LARP enthusiasts from all over the world and also people who want to learn LARPing. So, yeah, I hope the worm will be spreading throughout the world like it's better to spread LARP than any other things, especially right now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, Antonis mentioned uh, a couple of the games that you've created, um, uh, System and Nightclub. Um, where do you find your, your ideas for games? Do you have a specific process to get ideas? I think finding ideas is not difficult, to be honest. You just need to be watchful. Uh, when you are, I don't know, going to your work or when you are watching TV or where you are when you are reading a book. In my case, it always starts with what if? And then you will ask yourself a question and then you will try to design a game that will try to answer this question. So with System, for example, it was what if we could live in actual virtual reality like the movies we watch um, about the topic um, shows us so we don't know anymore are we in virtual reality or are we in normal reality and we get confused and most of those movies has this moment when even the viewer is confused and when we were designing together with Malvina um, we wanted to get people this feeling of being confused are we inside of virtual reality or are we like um, people actually playing a LARP. With Nightclub, it was 80s, nightclub and love and how we can um, act on physicality of showing affection. So on the dance floor or talking to other people who we've just met and how these relationships would unfold uh, in time. So I was trying to squeeze the whole love story into several hours so how people would um, react to each other since their first um, 
site? Is it love on the first site or um, will there be any trouble, troubles, problems? Of course, it's more interesting for the story. But I also feel like Antonis can tell us, did he f feel it uh, since he played it? Uh, did you fall in love with Nightclub? Well, I don't know if I fell in love with Nightclub, but uh, it was my first LARP and then I got hooked on the idea of LARPing. So <laughs> I guess it worked. Uh, yeah, in in one way, I got connected emotionally to to the whole process, and like you yeah, like you described, it feels like the there's a there's a fine line between reality and uh, playing a character when you're playing LARP. Like there's this augmentation to an alternative reality, which uh, lies in the world building of the of the game that you are playing, and games like that can be heavily based on mechanics. So I was wondering, and we discussed this uh, as a, being a controversial kind of question, but that's exactly why I want the answer to it. Um, what would be one of your favorite game mechanics and how, how are you implementing it in your own game designs? I don't believe there is a perfect LARP mechanic or I don't believe there is a perfect mechanic. Uh, the perfect mechanic for me would be the most suitable mechanic for the game. Because uh, like in other games, LARPs are very, very different from each other. So we can have like um, a one hour, very short, very easy uh, game. Or you can have a game that lasts for three days and you are staying in character through the whole time. You are waking up as your character and going to sleep as your character. So the most suitable mechanic for that design is the best, in my opinion. So you need to think what you want to achieve and how the mechanic, how the meta technique can improve the experience. So from the designing point of view, it needs to add up something. So if it's too distracted, uh, if it will take you off the game, um, probably you if you will start noticing it, something is not right. So especially for the games that need um, to be simulations, that they need to be immersive, that that you need to feel like you are in the world you, mm, you are interacting with as your character and you can feel it's kind of real, the less mechanics, the less meta techniques you use, is the best. But if you want a heavy political game, for example, you cannot um, expect that each and every player would be having the possibility to have a fair play game. So you need to build this kind of structure that will be evening out the advantages and disadvantages or giving you in-game advantages or disadvantages for the characters. So you are not basing on the real people, but on the characters but there is actually one mechanic i love and i started using it in most of my games and it is a safety mechanic that i found out when i was larping in spain uh, before that i knew only the traffic light system so we were stopping the scene when something is not right using the word red like red light then if we were on the verge of something uncomfortable or dangerous we were using the word yellow also like in the uh, traffic light and we were using the word green if we wanted to have some more 
But in my opinion, this uh, meta technique is intrusive. And if you are in a situation that you feel uncomfortable, even thinking of using the meta technique is hard. So I've learned the mechanics, so-called OK check. So anybody else can check on you. If they see, they feel you might be distressed or lost or not having fun or maybe something happened, I don't know, maybe you fell down and they want to check on you, they will use the gesture and then you can respond with the gesture to tell them if anything is all right by um, giving them the thumbs up or you feel distressed, you need any help, maybe something happened with thumbs down. And even if you don't know what to respond because like you are a bit confused or overwhelmed you are mm, wiggling your hand to show the other person that maybe you need some more attention and because it is making you because somebody is forcing you to think about your well-being uh, in that situation and it's not using words but gestures that can be invisible for other people so they won't disrupt the game I think that uh, suits perfectly for those situations. So I try to incorporate this safety mechanics in my games. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I, well, used to and still do play Dungeons and Dragons a lot. And I remember having discussions with sort of old school role players, my Dungeons and Dragons friends, if you like, um, about sort of new wave role playing games and about all the tools that there are for psychological safety. And some of them were quite surprised by that. Um, that you know those things would even be in place, um, but I guess it's it's because we've we've moved on, and, and I guess a lot of people will also be surprised when we're talking about LARPing that we're not just talking about you know sword and sorcery fantasy, which a lot of people will probably incorporate or, or probably associate with that idea. But we've moved into an era now where games are are used to explore lots of really interesting areas of, of real life, and and. And, 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 and issues and so on. So that psychological safety is, is really is really needed. Um, and I guess that kind of, to me, it brings up the idea that games games are not just for fun anymore. They can be quite challenging. Um, and, you know, the challenges are there for players, but they're also there for you. So I was, I was going to ask you a question about challenges. What, what's been your biggest challenge in games design and how did you overcome it? That's a very challenging question. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I think that when we are designing, we are struggling with several things. First of uh, all is uh, we know it as a writer block, right? So we are stuck in some moment of our design or of the process and we don't know where to go next or we are confused or something is not feeling right. Uh, so this is a challenging moment because at some point you are so used to your own ideas so you don't see it clearly. So I'm trying at that mo th th that moment to take a step back and to switch the perspective um, or consult with somebody else who is not familiar with what what's in my head so having the second eyes and second opinion uh, and i also think that <laughs> the challenge is you want to design from your own perspective so most of the designers are designing the games they would like to play themselves right so this is also something i'm i'm struggling sometimes uh, because 
when you are limiting yourself to this approach, you will be designing the same game over and over again. So being conscious of those things, of the moment when you get stuck, when you are like bumping the wall to maybe change something, change the direction, change the approach, and sometimes revise the whole design and start from the scratch. And sometimes like this um, saying, like kill your darlings, right? So you're not designing only for yourself and maybe some other people would enjoy your game. I think those are the struggles. And I always try to look at the design from different perspectives because for me, design is something that is a structure and it's not two-dimensional structure. It's multidimensional, sometimes more than three. So you need to have the time to watch the structure from different perspectives, from different angles and check if it's still the thing you wanted to design is it still i don't know a cat if you wanted to design a cat uh, isn't it sometimes a monkey when you look at it from below you know what i mean so you are sure the thing is understandable because if you will design a game and players don't know it they can get confused if it's half a monkey and half a cat because they don't know if they should pet it and give it milk or banana right so this is the thing that is in my case challenging so making sure what your design is and how people can interact with it to have as much fun as possible so i've got a bit of a follow-up question then so how soon generally speaking do you get players involved in your designs get that that feedback and that different perspective it depends on the game as with the mechanics I have some designs that I was participating with other people and I was playtesting and most of the time when I'm publishing something, I always playtest it first so I can have the raw opinion. In some moments, this process was interactive, let's say. So because I was designing for a particular group of people, I was letting people in the design. So, for example, they could influence their characters. They could influence the plots that will happen in the game. They could even prompt the ideas. Um, but sometimes it's nobody sees it before it's ready. So I have it in my storage uh, or in my drawer and I'm working on it and sizzling it. And when I know it's time <laughs> to get the big reveal, I then put it out. But even though if I struggle sometimes with this design, I'm trying to sneaky question my friends who uh, know about the games or who are players I appreciate or who are also designers um, to like feed me up with some information without uh, letting them know what exactly I'm working on. So the short answer would be, it depends, right? It's interesting because yeah. the answer you gave now and the answer you gave about the challenges, we've seen it applying to all other games. And especially when it comes to the challenges, like having this writer's block, it's a recurring theme on our podcast with all the game designers we have. <laughs> Somehow this, this, this is one of the most common challenges in, in the creative process because games are, game design is a creative process uh, at its core. 
But what you described as your favorite mechanic is, is something that I, I feel can work in LARPs or mostly in LARPs, but not so much in other games. So it, I'm, I'm going to go to a different question. Uh, I'm, I'm simply going to ask you, what are your favorite games in the sense uh, of recommending games to play for our audience? But in that, I, I want you to keep in mind like both LARP and non-LARP and based on what, what experiences our audience could be getting out of them. I'm interested to hear your diversity of options from our audience. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it depends, right? So um, I know different players can have fun in different ways and uh, different things are interesting to them. In my case, I like the games that will engage me in the characters in the world. I will be thrilled to unfold the story. I love some plot twists or shifting the situation. I really like to interact with other people more than interact with the computer. So the games I like the most are those that I can play with my friends or with random people, but in person, like uh, eye to eye. So either LARPs or tabletop RPGs or board games or card games, I would prefer more than playing a computer game, for example. Uh, but on the other hand, computer games will offer you richer world because there will be a lot more content in that situation um, that is given to you by the game itself. But on the other hand, in tabletop or uh, LARP, or even in the board or card games, when you are playing with people, um, we always, um, I don't know, go somewhere uh, unexpected. So uh, we don't have the, the problem of expanding the world or lore or putting our own ideas on top of the game itself. So um, to be more specific, um, in LARPs, um, I really love the game uh, that's called D8. It's post-apocalyptic setting. So the world was destroyed in eight days. And then some people survived, not a lot of them. And players are creating their characters based on what they were doing in 21st century before the world ended. Then they will form some groups and they will pre-play um, via internet how their characters joined different groups and how the groups were developed. And then when they meet in person during the LARP, it's already 10 years after the apocalypse. So they created some strong bonds. And now in two days, we are trying to explore what will happen through the next 10 years in the world. So they will be playing scenes or short chamber LARPs that will push this, their storyline, their personal plots further. And each of these games is taking place in next year after the other. So in this very squeeze and short time in real life, they have the chance to create the whole storyline, the whole uh, story arc for their characters. And it's up to them because they don't need to tell you which scene they will be attending. There is some uh, number of scenes to uh, choose from in each uh, episode. And 
you are not putting any restraints on them. Um, if it comes to board games, if it comes to board games, my favorite recently is Nemesis. Uh, this is uh, the game that gives you a lot of opportunities to play on emotions and character uh, development uh, in case of um, all of the characters are the crew of the spaceship and they've been hibernated and they wake up, one of them is dead, um, so they need to find out what's going on uh, in the ship. So they are exploring the ship and at some point um, aliens appear. So this very cinematic experience on the board game. And what's the funniest, or maybe not the funniest, but the most interesting is each player uh, draws two objectives. One of them is personal objective and it's cooperative. And one of them is uh, corporate objective. So it's competitive. And then up until the point the first alien lands on the board, you have both of them. But when the first alien appears, you need to choose one. And nobody knows, are you um, cooperating with them or are you trying to make something against them or even, I don't know, destroy the whole ship and escape uh, being the only survivor. So those kind of opportunities for me uh, to, like, take care of your own story and being surprised by others, what they will do um, is something that interests me the most. I think it's interesting what you say about pre preferring sort of LARPing and tabletop games to computer games. To me, it always feels like the difference between a book and a film. So if you've read a book and then you see the film, there's always something that isn't quite right. You know, the, the actor isn't the right person to be cast or whatever. And I think it's the same with games. If you, um, with tabletop, you can bring so much of yourself to it that I think it's ultimately a much more satisfying experience. Even if you you don't have those, you know, beautifully rendered three D worlds, it, it's still a more satisfying experience. So a kind of follow on, I guess, from you know the games that you like. Um, I guess the next question I'd like to ask is, um, which games designers do you like? Who would you recommend to our listeners to to look into? And again, it could be LARP or non LARP. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I will um, stay in the LARPing area. And also I will change the question a bit because I don't want to speak about particular person uh, because in LARPing, this becomes more a collaborative thing. And I really appreciate that. So recently we started a company for LARP production because in bigger games, you cannot do everything by yourself. And in other games, like in board, card, uh, video games, you have a lot of people working on the final effect. So you can have people who will be designing visuals. You will have people who will test the games. You will have the people who will be merchandising the games and so on and so on. And in LARPs, I also feel like this should be a group effort so we can have specialists in different fields to take care of, I don't know, scenography, costumes, special effects, to feel people more engaged and to have them, to have people more engaged and to have them more immersed in the world so they can see it, they can hear it, they can smell it, they can touch it. 
uh, you want to have people who have a good writing skills. So the characters you will be preparing are not only well designed, but they are well communicated to the players, that they are interesting, that they are fun to read, that players will be engaged from them since the beginning when they will see the backstory of the character and their goals written not in like goal one, goal two, goal three, but somehow incorporated into the story. And recently I LARP internationally more and I have LARPed amazing games um, of several groups that are working on them and they do amazing jobs. Uh, so like three weeks ago I was in Spain uh, in this game for a new group um, called Ephemeral. They created this political game in the setting of The Witcher. Um, so representatives of Northern Kingdoms are meeting after the war to establish the new politics under Nilfgaardian Empire. And how many details there was connected to the lore people know from books or movies or from the games and the attention to details in case of set design, in case of costumes, in case of props was amazing and I hope they will rerun the game because I would play it even more. Um, also Chaos League, I think it's a very, very um, well known recently. Uh, the brand well-known recently for the Sahara Expedition, that, that they produced a game, they ran a game in actual Sahara Desert. I had the marvelous chance to play it last year. And I think right now it's top one of my games. The emotions that came uh, from their design of, in one case, you know everything about the characters as a player, so you can prepare yourself for playing that. And you can talk with other people and calibrate on your stories, but on the other hand, you don't know what will happen. And since we are covering around 40 days on the desert in two days, they will put some plot twist uh, and you will stand in front of a difficult choices you need to make and they will make you quite emotional. And of course, since it's a game in uh, Zev Cthulhu setting, there will be some horror looking at you um, from the stars. So Chaos League. The third one would be also from Spain, not only LARP. I've uh, played two of their games. They were amazing. Unfortunately, uh, I've missed the, the third one, but you might have heard about their game inspired by the Westworld TV series. It was uh, held in this amazing set of uh, Sergio Leone Westerns. And actually we followed the story and the storyline of Westworld that is about oppression, that humans are oppressing. Um, cyborgs they've created for their own pleasure and their own entertainment so a quite heavy topic but in amazing um, setting and i hope they will rerun this game because i haven't played it and i want it so much fantastic <laughs> all right now let's go to the to the gist of the podcast because we have among our audience many many people that are aspiring game designers and we want to give them everything they need to, to get them going based on the real life experience of uh, 
experienced game designers like you. So let's say, and, and I'm like you because I met you in exactly that environment. <laughs> so I guess that, that, that helps the, to set the environment uh, towards this, uh, the answer to this question. And the question is, if somebody is just starting, is an aspiring game designer, and they need advice, what kind of advice would you give them? Play, 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 then play some more, then play something different. Then when you've played it, think about it, analyze it, dissect it, uh, reverse engineer it, then run it, like use a structure that is already established. In LARPs, it's easier right now than when I was starting because we have so-called print-and-play scenarios. So you can download, download them online and you can read through them you can check how they are built so you can figure out the design behind them. You can run them. You can learn while practicing on others, on other scenarios, on others' mistakes. Maybe you will need to tweak it or edit it a bit for your friends that you will be running or for your other audience. But it's good to start with friends because they won't go hard on you. Um, or well, maybe it depends on friends, right? Um, so start with people who will be kind to you because uh, starting there is quite difficult and you are putting yourself out there. And then when you will design, when you will start designing, there is this rule that's called KISS. So uh, keep it simple, sweetie or stupid, depending on who is using it. And don't be carried away by your own design. And it's easier to climb up than to go on the, the top because the fall will be easier. So you will maybe crack a nail and not break your leg. So starting step by step, um, not going full in. Um, because I have experienced it too like you it's very easy to get carried away um to be too ambitious to be hard on yourself and since you are your uh, worst judge or critic as a art critic i know that so uh, you can count on it um it will be hard for you because you need to um do it step by step and on each um, step you need to reflect on it and you can take both good opinions and feedback but you are taking feedback not for beating yourself up that you've made a mistake but to learn how you can improve so it's not personal it's about the thing you did and not every negative opinion is something you need to take into consideration because sometimes it's not about the game but it's about the player um so yeah like start slowly with what's the best in games with playing and then slowly move uh, one step ahead i also think that a good idea is to listen to podcasts like that or read books uh, on game design or actually maybe meet other designers and compare uh, the things because 
you know, you are not in the void, right? There is a lot of nice games, nice books, and um, a lot of things in the internet you can check to improve. So also learning from people who already are on this path is a good idea. So also thank you for making this podcast um, and making people um, to share their knowledge and the others to learn something. So just to kind of wrap up the interview, there's a, there's a kind of related question, but it takes um, takes us from games back out to the real world, if you like. Um, what's the lesson that you've taken from games or from playing games or from designing games, which you think could be applied to real life? The thing that I've learned is a bit annoying, and I don't know if I should share it with the world, but... I think designing not only games, but I also design experiences. I also design, um, uh, I, I, I do graphic design a bit and so on and so on. But design is about serving the purpose. So whatever you are designing, you need to serve a specific purpose. You need to um, convey a message or you need to make feel people feel the way uh, you want them to feel in exact uh, experience or you want the game to work in a certain way. So every time I'm asking a lot of questions and most of the time I'm repeatedly asking people why. So why it is, is it important? Why you want it to have it that way and sometimes if I hear the answer and I still don't get it I will ask but why I still don't 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 get it right and it's also known technique by some designers that if you are stuck or if you don't know if you are going in the right direction it's good to ask yourself why for the three times in a row for the same topic because probably the first you will come up will be excuses. Then you will touch the topic. And then for the third time, because you've used all the excuses and the basic information that everybody know, you will touch something that is important. That is the clue of the question. So asking people question, asking myself question, and especially why is something I've learned while designing. And, you know, it's annoying because nobody uh, likes when somebody is asking why. Uh, during alchemy training, somebody said, that's why we are annoyed by kids, because they are always asking this question. Why this? Why that? But if you will put yourself in this position of a person who is as curious of the world or whatever else as a kid, who don't understand, sometimes you will learn something or you will get information uh, from other people that you wouldn't expect. Because if you will ask a good question, you can have an answer that will change everything or put it in different perspective. And then you will have the chance and opportunity to discover something really unique and not the road that was taken by everybody else. Thank you so much, Suavik, for being with us today. And if people want to find out more about you, where should they look in this digital era that we're in? Well, first of all, in room number 17 in Rapka's Drui when we are recording. 
Uh, then I encourage everybody to check uh, LARP Alchemy Trainings uh, and Nausicaa Foundation because apparently for some years we will be meeting at least two times a year to dissect LARPs and we will have sessions from beginners and from youth workers and from trainers and educators and facilitators on what is LARP and why it's good to use it in other terms than leisure and entertainment. Then we also have more advanced um, training on design. It's happening in autumn and I hope to meet you there uh, too. Then um, for international audience, I think LARP Venture will be a good uh, spot because we are starting a company to run um, heavy production games. So we will try to like amp up a bit uh, the level of the games uh, that can be run internationally and our aim is actually not only to bring the good designs and well-produced uh, events but also to um, raise the visibility of LARPs among other games to make them go out of the niche situation they are in. I think this is a best moment for LARPs since even big corporations like Disney uh, found out about LARPs and then tried to use the techniques we are um, using for their own um, parks of entertainment. Um, for Polish speakers, if we have any among your listeners, uh, Lublarp is my local group that we created almost 10 years ago. Oh my God, it's it's so, so long. Uh, and we are running local games and we are running games in Poland. And we also are meeting together to grab some nice food and to talk about LARPs and not only LARPs. And also... Um, if you are considering, um, if you are a Polish speaker and if you are considering maybe learning something more, uh, I'm teaching LARPs at uh, Maria Kiris Kłodowska University in Lublin. So there is also a possibility <laughs> to, to, to meet. Uh, but I don't know if anybody uh, is interested uh, to go as deep. So Thank you so much. Uh, we'll make sure to put all these links in the description of this episode. And... This has been the Ludogogi Podcast. Game, Game over. over.